electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Live from the NASDAQ market site in the heart of New York City's Times Square, this is Fast Money. Here's what's on tap tonight. Red Sea ripple effect, the turmoil and armed conflict in this critical shipping channel, taking a toll on the global supply chain. Tesla set to halt most production in Germany. Shipping rates are soaring. The latest developments coming up. Plus, Bitcoin's big day. All of the 11 crypto ETFs are now trading. And the frenzy pushed Bitcoin above 49,000 before midday fade. Is this the peak of the current crypto rally? We'll debate that. And later, Netflix and chill out for ads. It's a thing. We'll explain it. Uh, Boeing's in, in a bad week keeps getting worse. And the big banks are on the clock. Tomorrow's trade tonight. I'm Melissa Lee coming to you live from Studio B at the NASDAQ on the desk tonight. Tim Seymour, Karen Feinerman, Guy Adami, and Dan Nathan. We begin with a developing story out of the Red Sea, a major real-world ripple effect from the ongoing armed conflict in this critical shipping channel. Tesla announcing it will suspend most of its EV production at its Berlin factory due to the impact on shipping costs and a supply gap. Let's get straight to Pippa Stevens with more on this and reports that the president could be addressing the troubles in the Middle East tonight. Pippa. That's right, Melissa. Biden is reportedly set to speak tonight, according to the Times of London, right after UK PM Sunak held a call with his cabinet this afternoon about the likelihood of a British and U.S. military strike against the Houthis in Yemen. This says Reuters reporting that Tesla is set to halt most operations at its gigafactory in Germany for two weeks. Tesla is the first company to halt or slow output due to the conflict in the Red Sea. But as more tankers reroute around the tip of Africa, it's adding time and cost for shippers and companies. Shipping rates from Asia to the U.S. East Coast have more than doubled since October, according to S&P Global Commodity Insights. A 40-foot container now costs $5,100, up from $2,150 just three months ago. Now, this coincides with the ongoing drought at the Panama Canal, another of the world's key waterways, which is also impacting shipping rates. Now, inflation's been cooling, but a prolonged conflict in the Red Sea could throw a wrench in that trajectory. J.P. Morgan saying this week that increases in global shipping costs could add to consumer prices over the next several months. Now, of course, a lot of this depends on how long this conflict stretches on and the extent of the escalation. But for now, Melissa, we are seeing higher prices. Thank you, Pippa. Pippa Stevens, let's bring in retired U.S. Navy Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery. He's a senior fellow at the Foundation for Defense of Democracies and former policy director for the Senate Armed Services Committee under Senator John McCain. Um, Rear Admiral, great to have you with us. Thank you so much for joining us. I guess, what is your take in terms of how the developments are, are shaping up right now? Does it seem to be getting worse? It seems to be reaching another level at this point, especially if, if Biden's going to address the nation tonight. Well, thank you for having me. And you're exactly right. And it was uh, the issue was teed up perfectly. You know, we've been trying to do what we call deterrence by denial, which is create a defensive mechanism 
where our ships, the British ships, shoot down the drones and the um, and and the missiles headed at the uh, merchant ships, and where we uh, deter small boat attacks. Uh, but that deterrence by denial can only go so far. It, it and clearly it hasn't done enough to convince the major shipping companies like Maersk and Hapag Lloyd and MSC and others. Uh, to not do the long route around Africa, which is almost 3,000 miles longer. So I think we're getting to that point now where we're going to see um, deterrence by punishment, which is where we conduct offensive operations against Houthi sites, you know, their weapons launching sites, their weapons stowage sites, uh, maybe their small boat piers, their helicopter airfields. In other words, punish the Houthis and prevent them from conducting operations out to sea. And that might be a stronger signal to the shipping companies uh, that the Red Sea is a uh, viable uh, transit route. We do want to note that the White House has since said that President Biden has no plans to make any sort of statement tonight, but will, of course, continue to monitor the situation because things could change here. Karen, you've got a question. I do. Thanks for being with us. Um, There's a story about the uh, Houthi leader saying we're going to have a big response to any potential U.S. activity. How do you think about that? Well, I think we're seeing quite a bit from the Houthis now, right? I mean, the, the 27 strike set of strikes was just reported. You know, the 26 strike several days, two days ago, you know, involved, you know, 21 cruise missiles or drones or ballistic missiles fired out there. So I think we've seen a lot from the Houthis. They've been well armed by Iran over the last uh, decade. So they have quite a bit of, of equipment. But I think, you know, we've seen what they can do. And what we need to do now is remove a lot of that capacity. And, and you can only do that through offensive strikes. And I think they can be done in a reasonably uh, risk-managed way where there's little risk to U.S. forces in conducting a strike. Admiral, you talk about risk management. And when you think about just what's going on here, we know that the Israelis launched a drone attack into Lebanon last week. Um, we have obviously what's going on in Gaza. And, and so when you think about Hamas, you think about Hezbollah, you think about the Houthis, these are all Iranian-backed. Uh, organizations here. What is the likelihood that this could spill over something more direct with Iran, especially if these punishment measures do seem to work, but for instance, they just continue to go about this? So, look, I'm certainly not advocating for any strikes against uh, Iran or um, you know, um, Iranian forces at sea or something. I think we need to confine this to those proxy forces that are conducting attacks against the shipping. I also believe there's cause for attacking uh, Iranian proxies that have launched more than 100 uh, missile or drone attacks against our ground forces in Syria and Iraq. We've been exceptionally fortunate to have no U.S. Uh, combat uh, you know, deaths in, in uh, Iraq or Syria from those attacks. But I would confine our operations to Iranian proxies and message to the Iranians, this is about your proxy forces. We're going to hold them accountable. Do not resupply these forces, you know, and, and if you do, we'll hold that, you know, that resupply accountable. But, you know, in no way, shape or form should we imply that we're uh, attacking uh, the, uh, Iran itself or Iranian forces at sea. This needs to be uh, explicitly directed at those proxy forces that are threatening U.S. forces and global shipping. Rear Admiral, thank you for joining us. Talk about the coordination with the rest of the world and, and who, you know, we've read about where the, the Brits are involved. You know, the U.N. has made some statements. Uh, it's important to understand, you know, where there is alignment and where there is follow through from other folks other than the U.S. So I think there's two different types of cooperation here. On the, on the defensive side, there's been 
pretty good co cooperation and, and Operation Prosperity Guardian. Um, you know, they reportedly up to 20 different countries uh, are supporting it or participating, only uh, half of which would prefer to be named. You know, that's unfortunate. But, I, I you know, I, there's one um, Muslim country in there, Bahrain, uh, but, you know, others are participating. I think we're, you know, that kind of cooperation on the defensive side is what I sort of expect. On the offensive side, I think this really needs to be confined to just one or two countries to minimize the chance of collateral damage and to and inadvertent uh, misses, and, and also to minimize the risk to the forces doing it. So it'd be the U.S. or the U.S. plus the U.K. And I think we need to keep that extremely limited. And, and also, I think we're doing a favor to some of our allies and partners who are comfortable doing the defensive operations, but politically don't want to risk the offensive operations. What's your assessment right now of, of supply chain disruptions and, and does the situation get worse before it gets better for companies looking to, to use that as a waterway? So I think we're only beginning to see we're only seeing the beginning of the disruptions. In other words, this is an, instead of 8,500 nautical miles, it's now almost 12,000. It's an extra 10 days of shipment, you know, from, you know, coming from Southeast Asia around to um, to uh, European ports. So it, this 10-day extension, we're just beginning to see the, you know, the start of the bow wave of that, right? And so conditions will get worse till they stabilize in a new normal of longer, more expensive, um, you know, an extra million dollars uh, you know, per container ship cost uh, transit. Um, and, you know, this is impacting about 12% of world trade, you know, in some areas it's 10, some it's 15, but overall about 12%. So I, we're seeing the bow wave of that. It'll, there'll be more uh, stories like the Tesla story that come out over the next two to three weeks. And regardless of what happens tonight or this weekend, um, you know, with some kind of offensive strike, uh, I believe that we're going to see the impact of this for months. And we haven't even, we have not yet seen the totality of the impact. Um, one last question, and I hate to use this metaphor, but using the baseball metaphor, what inning are we in in terms of these shipping delays? It sounds like we're at the very beginning. Second inning. I mean, I mean, the, wow. uh, you know, the, the impact started and, you know, the, 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 uh, the ships began to divert and the and the impact of that diversion is just starting to be felt. So I think we're very early in this and uh, and I don't think the game's going to get called early. All right. Uh, Mark, thanks so much for joining us. Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery. We appreciate your insight. Second inning. It's going to be a long game. That was the right question. You know, you started the show last night. You asked Tim, you know, how do you read these CPI? If I had told you numbers, we'll be able to tell you where the stock market's going to go. And, and Tim was, you know, Tim said probably not, maybe. But and I'll tell you, if you had told me the numbers that came out this morning, S&P's down 75 handles easy, given what the expectations were and given the run up we've had. S&P closed unchanged. But what we just talked about for the last 10 minutes or so, that's not going to do anything to help the inflation problem that I think we're still in the midst of. And all these rate cuts seemingly priced into the market. I don't know. I think people are getting ahead of their skis a little bit. I mean, if we thought it was sticky, it could be even stickier given the increased shipping costs. Well, and again, the market's playing like we're in the bottom of the eighth or top of the ninth in, in terms of their Fed policy. And, and so not bottom of the ninth, but and again, and I like this metaphor, by the way, it's, it's nice. I think we need to continue it throughout the, the show. But I, I, I think, as Guy said, that CPI number, um, it, it doesn't necessarily change the 
Fed, uh, it, it does tell you that the Fed is nowhere near cutting. Uh, I mean, in some sense, I don't think that the Fed has told us that they were near cutting. You also had jobless claims number. Look, a four-week moving average on this means there's zero movement in, in the job market. Joblessness is not increasing in this country in a meaningful way. Uh, and all of this means that inflation is a lot stickier. Uh, basically, today's CPI says we're not. Also, you talk about the, the early in the, in the game. You know, CPI at 3.3, 3.4 on core is is still very far away from the Fed getting to 2%. Housing costs are really sticking and moving higher at this point. Um, insurance, very high, I mean, mm-hmm. in terms of costs. And then now we have the, these additional costs that are have not yet gone through to prices. Right, right. No, it's the first thing I thought of as well listening to him talk was about, okay, this is not good for what we've seen is, a reversal in the supply chain issues that have come right. up for the past two years. And that has provided a really nice tailwind as companies have been able to say our landed goods cost is better, so our gross margins are much better. Now, if this reverses all that, that isn't good. And then, I don't know, I would expect to see increased volatility as well, which isn't generally good. Yeah, it brings us, though, to two years ago, like this week, when tanks started rolling or amassing on the Ukrainian border from Russia, right? We started to see natural gas. We started to see crude oil prices kind of work higher. And we had that big spike. And they make no mistake about it. I mean, that situation and that short-term situation and the unknown about how long that war would last, what the disruptions would look like, it caused a huge spike. And I think it definitely made much worse the inflation situation at the time, especially when a lot of folks were expecting that the supply chain disruptions from COVID were getting better at that time. But here we are two years later, right? And we have gas, you know, at the pump, $3 nationally. We have crude oil, right, at, at, at $71 or something, can't get out of its own way, down from 95 despite a lot of these geopolitics issues. So, I, I mean, to me, I think that, like, the near term, we're going to see all these charts about the Baltic Dry, and we're going to see all these shipping rates, and they're going to go up, and then we get used to it, and then we work it back in. But, again, if, if these sorts of disruptions to manufacturing and supply chains, um, you know, if they're real, uh, like, who knows? The, the second any of this stuff, I, I don't know. Like, we just dealt with a global pandemic a few years ago, and we got through it and everything seems to be going okay. I, I do think that the U.S. is somewhat isolated, certainly relative to some other countries, from this being a, you know, and and it sort of reinforces the onshoring idea mm-hmm. or nearshoring. Which is inflationary. Which is All inflationary. But stickier inflation in other parts mm-hmm. of the world might be even a, a bigger challenge for those central banks as opposed to where we are in terms of our own economic data, which is much stronger than other countries. I think that's right. And, and I, I, look, there's, there's no question that we have a very tenuous, complex uh, geopolitical situation in the Middle East. And for equities, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate enough to, to be asked to uh, fill out, uh, be part of the Merrill Lynch Bank of America Fund Manager Serve Wave. When they give you four or five listings of what your biggest concerns are for 2024, um, the, and it's everything from the Federal Reserve to a credit crisis, but where people are clicking on more than anything is geopolitics. It's certainly where I'm clicking. So when you think about the discount... this, do you think, or China, or... Yes, yes, and yes. Okay, because there's no question. We have Taiwanese elections, we have elections here, we have elections around the world, but we have uh, the the, the horrors of what are going on in the Middle East, and I just think it's a case where the risks go up. It also reinforces the energy security trade. It's great great for gold. It's great for uranium. I mean, some of these trades are, are things to think about. It's also, you know, if it really gets ugly. It's a dollar flight to quality Mm -hmm, story, which isn't good for equity. So there's a lot to do here. That's exactly right. Will it be a flight to quality in the form of the dollar, making the dollar go higher and in the bonds, making yields go lower? Because, 
Yields should have been markedly higher today, I, I think, mm-hmm. given those numbers yeah. we saw this morning. And they were muted. And maybe that bond auction at 1 o'clock did something to mitigate that. But it's a the cross currents are tremendous. And that Taiwan election is a big deal that nobody seems to want to talk about. But, you know, with all eyes being on the Middle East right now, all eyes are being taken off what's going on, continued between, well, I don't want to say between, but the rhetoric out of China. Coming up, a big day for media stocks. Netflix, Paramount, and Warner Brothers all on the move. The latest headlines driving the streaming space and Disney's latest consumer push next. Plus, Boeing shares sinking after last week's blowout. And now regulators are taking a closer look how options markets are navigating this news and the impact on some airlines ahead of earnings. Don't go anywhere. Fast Money's back in two. This is Fast Money with Melissa Lee right here on CNBC. Wouldn't it be great to have all your investment and retirement accounts in one place? Yahoo Finance, our sponsor today, makes it easy. I use it to put my investment account and 401k accounts into one hub and get expert tips that help me confidently manage my money. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. Whether you're a seasoned investor or are looking for that extra guidance, Yahoo Finance gives you all the tools and data you need in one place. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original editorial perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. Securely link your brokerage accounts for a unified view of your wealth, including 401k and other investments. A comprehensive perspective is what sets apart great investors, and it's how Yahoo Finance ensures you have the insight to look at your wealth in its entirety. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. That's yahoofinance.com. Welcome back to Fast Money. Netflix shares touching their highest level since January 2022. Meantime, Paramount and Warner Brothers down in the dumps after analysts at Redburn Atlantic downgraded both names and Disney launching a new shopping advertising experience. Julia Borson has more on all these stories. Julia. Yeah, media stocks moving around today on news about growing ad-supported streaming businesses and also on concerns about challenges to the linear TV business. Now, let's start with the stock that was shooting higher today. That is Netflix. Shares adding 3%, up over 5% earlier today. This after Netflix's ad chief yesterday announced that its ad-supported tier dumped to 23 million monthly active users. That's up from 15 million nearly three months ago. They also talked about very high user engagement. Meanwhile, Warner Brothers Discovery and Paramount shares plummeting on downgrades from Redburn Atlantic Equities. The firm warning that linear advertising is at a negative tipping point and consensus does not adequately forecast declines across the group. Paramount shares losing 5.5%. The firm saying that they see the most downside in Paramount, while Warner Brothers Discovery shares lost 4% on a downgrade to neutral. And Warner Brothers Discovery also got a note out yesterday from Bank of America reiterating a buy rating, but noting that the company is managing through a challenging macro environment. Also want to take a look at Disney shares. They're up just fractionally after announcing new ad tools, including a shoppable ad format called Gateway Shop, which lets consumers and streaming viewers make a purchase from an ad without leaving the Disney Plus app. This is all, of course, aimed to make the streaming ads as effective and valuable as possible. Melissa? No mention in that Redbird note about uh, Paramount potentially being on the block? 
Well, of course, there's a lot of uh, sort of speculation about Paramount being in the block. And what my sources are telling me about this, Melissa, is that this still has to go through a due diligence process. Um, And and yes, there is interest from David Ellison and his investors and his team, but they still haven't done the due diligence on Paramount Global yet. All right. Julia, thanks. Julia Borston. Uh, Let's trade these names, Uh, Tim. Well, I, I, you know, Netflix's ability to move away from the pack is never more apparent. And it's a question of what you want to pay for it. But obviously, in terms of the cash flow generation of the story, but the engagement, uh, the ability of this model to grow upon itself. We haven't even talked about things like gaming and whatnot. I don't have a position. And in fact, you know, I sold the stock, I, I don't know, $100 ago. And I really thought I was going to get a chance in a market environment to buy it back. And, and, and I would love to buy this on a dip. I think there are a lot of people that want to buy it on a dip. And I would say this for those other names, uh, some ugly names. I own a couple of those ugly names. I, I do think M&A in the space, uh, some of the parts is heating up. I, I think you know the downgrade, I don't think they told us anything we didn't already know. Um, I think the private equity, specialized private equity, all the people from within the industry, strategics, I, I think they're buzzing and it's just about what these assets are worth and I think they will be bought. It is staggering to think that Netflix in November had a little bit more than 15 million global monthly active users. To go to 23 now is a tremendous Add support. jump. It's a, it's a huge jump, and that's why the stock is acting in kind. And Tim said you want to be able to buy it cheaper. And he may get the opportunity after earnings, I think, on the 23rd. But, you know, you look at it, you say it 31 times. Is it expensive? Yeah, I guess. But with their earnings growth that they're seeing, you know, maybe it's justified. But I'll say that Citi downgraded the stock, I want to say earlier today or late last night, on the back of their concern that they're going to spend $20 billion or so post-strike on content. And maybe that's a reason to downgrade it. Or actually, maybe that's a reason to say they're so far ahead of the curve they can do those things. Yeah, that would be my interpretation. I mean, you know, the streaming wars have been so bloody and costly for everybody involved except for Netflix, who stands alone with, you know, positive free cash flow, a very good balance sheet, the ability to do that kind of content spend. I'm long. It's expensive, which I don't love, but I do love the strategic position they're in. It's interesting. You know, we spent a lot of time talking about this really since Netflix kicked this off, right, about a year ago or so. And I go another way with this. I think about social commerce. I think about, like, I read a stat um, last year, Instagram, that has 2.3 billion monthly active users. A third of their users are going to make a purchase on Instagram, right? It gives them the ability to place more ads and be more engaging. And that brings me back to this Disney. You know, we talked about, remember that Walmart, that ROM commerce sort of thing. They introduced that short form show that streams. You can buy the stuff from there. I think these things are all coming together at some point. I think there might be other partners for some of these streamers, some of these lesser streamers like a Paramount. And, and, you know, we're going to see that, I think, in 2024 and 2025. There's a lot more Fast Monday to come. Here's what's coming up next. Boeing burned. Shares sinking again as the feds get involved with last week's major malfunction. What they're looking at and what it could mean for the company. Next. And speaking of airplanes, Delta results are on deck. And this name has gained some serious altitude over the last few months. So can it keep flying high? We'll debate. You're watching Fast Money, live from the NASDAQ market site in Times Square. We're back right after this. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. 
From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. Welcome back to Fast Money. Boeing shares still reeling from last week's mid-air door blowout, down more than 10 percent since Monday. And now the FAA is launching an investigation to Boeing's quality control. Um, Dan was flagging some options activity in this one, indicating what? Yeah, interesting. Uh, Short-dated call buying. So, right, so you see a stock gets hit like this. You know what I mean? They're looking out to February 2nd, um, weekly expiration. So that's a couple weeks here. You know, I think Karen's got a, what, a multi-day rule or something like that. Let let things shake out. I mean, they're going to be a a couple more bad headlines, like I would assume, like we saw today or so. But if you're looking to play for a bounce, you know, maybe these things, you know, they get these inspections done quicker than expected or something. I mean, that's the way you would define your risk and do it. But short-dated options that are in the money, paying, you know, that sort of premium doesn't seem like a great way to do it for me because I think all of you guys, and I know, Tim, you've been long this thing, you know, you're going to say you're going to have to be patient here. You've done this now for the last five years on a few occasions. No, it's, it, it is a story to be patient, and, and we're going to hear from them at some point soon. And, and the free cash flow profile of the company, to me, is what it's all about. I'm not discounting the fact that you could change your discount level on the stock, but that's not how people value it. They value it on free cash flow. Their defense business is strong. Guys brought that up recently. Uh, and the free cash flow, again, uh, they delivered, I don't know, 540 aircraft last year. And you think about the max profile. Uh, the, the, the calculus that's being done over the last couple of days is that this is not a big deal. I'm not going to tell you it's not a big deal. It's a big deal. Um, but I think longer term, this company gets back to where they were. They have 10 days to file a report to the FAA to say what was the root cause behind that door plug blowing out. Um, and so that's going to be another sort of catalyst either way for the mm-hmm. stock potentially and when were, that report is filed and they report on the 30 so the end of the month they report on the 31st so all these things line up and you know if we just look at it in terms of math forget about the human factor and the emotional fa- it's not a big deal but when you bring in the fact that they've done this now a number of times and they seemingly can't get out of their own way people are selling first asking questions later we talked the other night about a level 220 well it got close today and then the next level is 205 but into earnings, if you have an opportunity to start at 220, I say yes. And if something happens on earnings, it gets you 205. I think with both hands, you buy the stock. Ultimately, though, which is I must be why Tim's long, it's a duopoly, right? Right. Where are you going to go? And so I think like the prior things that we've seen in Boeing before. Can we play that out for just a second? Where are you going to go? But will Boeing have to discount? in order to make customers feel secure. Yes, maybe. And that worked before. Quality control measures, the costs and fines. I mean, in terms of sort of, you know, let's think about all the different ramifications. You're not dropping price on plates. And and I I mean, what do I know? But uh, I mean, I'm not selling, I'm not buying them. But I I think (laughs) if you start dropping prices on plates, that's not helping the quality perception of what you're doing. Also, what we've determined is this wasn't a design flaw. This was a manufacturing thing. Very different in terms of cost, very different in terms of at least the concept. Um, Again, I think the economic impact is something that we can at least right now, first of all, it's unknown. Um, but I think you can start to model this out and still make a call on the stock. All right. Coming up, Bitcoin begins. The long-awaited Bitcoin ETFs kicking off with trading this morning. And as you can guess, there were some pretty big swings. Will the new way to trade mean a new wave of crypto investing? Bitcoin baller, the one and only mm. Brian Kelly will join us next to lay it all out. And we've got two more 2024 acronyms just minutes away. <laughs> Karen's grabbing the wheel and Guy's chilling out with his. We'll explain when Fast Money returns. 
Missed a moment of fast? Catch us anytime on the go. Follow the Fast Money Podcast. We're back right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money Stocks, closing near the flat line after this morning's hotter-than-expected inflation report, the data reflecting an uptick in consumer prices for December. Some big names hitting milestones, shares of Salesforce and Amazon both touching 52-week highs, while Palo Alto Networks trading at a record. Shares of DocuSign jumping nearly 10% after reports that two private equity firms are com- competing to acquire the software company. DocuSign has a market value of about $12 billion. And shares of Hertz dropping more than 4% today. The company saying it is selling 20 20,000 of the EVs in its fleet as it reinvests in gas-powered cars. This is a statement on Hertz. It's a statement probably more so on the EV industry, though, and Tesla specifically. I mean, the, the comments around this are, are startling. And it's talk about a 180. I mean, the fact that ICE, internal combustion engine, is actually what people want and where people are trading. It makes you makes a GM shareholder feel like maybe some of that, I think, intrinsic value in the name. But it's, it's really clear. They said it. We're seeing demand uh, or lack of demand for EVs. There's a dynamic where maybe you got the early adopters out of the way, even in the rental car world. Certainly, that's the argument in EV land more broadly. A fascinating headline. I think what's interesting, too, is that because of Tesla's price cuts, the value of their fleet mm-hmm. declined. And now here they are putting more inventory into the channel, which would, I would imagine, put more pressure on used car, used EV prices. Yes, yeah. yes. I mean, they were pretty pissed about this, right? Uh-huh. Remember? Yeah. Um, and so to the extent that they borrow on, on the cars, mm-hmm. right? And then Tesla cut prices twice, right. I think. That didn't least, go well. Yeah. And so, I don't know, maybe it's a little bit, okay, fine, you do that to us, we'll, we'll kind of dump these. But I think it's, it's interesting that, I don't know if it's that renters don't know how to drive the electric cars. I mean, that was one of the things that they talked about. Or they don't but, want to take a chance. Or they don't want to take a chance. It is, I, I thought, very interesting, though, and I think we've seen some secondary price movement mm-hmm. in those cars, like you suggested. A volatile day for Bitcoin as 11 new ETFs made their debut. Most of the new instruments dropping today. ARK and the Franklin Bitcoin ETFs among the biggest losers, only two eking out gains. Let's bring in Fast Money Friend and cryptocurrency investor Brian Kelly on the appetite for Bitcoin ETFs. Brian joins us on the Fast Line. BK, great to see you. you, Did you pop champagne? I mean, how'd you celebrate this? (laughs) Yeah, very early in the morning, 9.30 a.m. New York time. That's a little too early for BK to be popping champagne. But... Uh it still was a pretty exciting day, um, considering the fact that, you know, Bitcoin's been on this trajectory from the backwaters of the financial world to being called an index for money laundering. And today it finally actually becomes a new asset class that finally retail investors have a way to invest in in their own brokerage account. I mean, we were looking at some of these historical charts of, of Bitcoin and in the past year. It's up 160 plus percent. BK, are we looking at those days of extreme volatility being over as Bitcoin you know, resides in, in more portfolios out there? Does volatility get dampened and therefore the, the swings get dampened and maybe the gains are dampened? I, you know what? I think there's a good argument for that. And that's something that I've always thought over time. People have said, hey, Bitcoin can't be a real currency because it's too volatile. And my retort to that was, well, wait until we get actual financial instruments. Wait till we get options and futures and a, and a full market around it. And you have people that actually uh, want to sell it as a hedge, that want to use options as a hedge. That will likely reduce volatility over time. I think that's a three- to five-year process, but at some point, a volatility junkie like BK will get bored with Bitcoin. 
BK, say hi to Brian for me, big fan, as you know. So the gold ETF one was coming out. I remember the excitement around it for months leading up. Gold ETF comes out, price went up, and then it went sideways for months, if not lower. We saw a move up to 49000 today only to give it all back. Is there a chance, I know the answer to this to a certain extent, that this is a short-term high in terms of Bitcoin? Oh, certainly, right? I mean, at this point in time, you have to say, okay, why is somebody going to buy Bitcoin? Besides, hey, I just want to have as a part of my portfolio, you got to have the macro tailwinds, which we do, although with that CPI print today, that is maybe a little bit of a headwind if you think the Fed is going to be higher for longer. But certainly, you know, you, it is going to change from just the accumulation story. That'll still be part of it. But then the actual investment thesis around it will start to come in. And we have had, what, Bitcoin up 100 like you said, 160%. I can't blame anybody for taking profits up that, up that much. Hey, Beeks, um, you know, there used to be a saying, I think, by you Bitcoin people, like to own your coins or hold on, or something like that. So what does this announcement do to that, right? If a bunch of normies like Guy and me are going to go buy some, you know, a Fidelity Bitcoin ETF normies, yeah, normies, I mean, and hold it in our, generous. in our IRA and that sort of thing. I'm not sure how you're defining normie. Well, that's, that's what the kids say, you know. I'm just saying. But you understand where I'm getting at, BK? Like, so, like, is there, are there two different things, buying a, a, a piece of a Bitcoin on, on a Coinbase wallet versus owning a uh, you know, a Fidelity Bitcoin ETF in their brokerage account. So, yeah. So just for the record, Dan, I don't think you're normal. I think you're quite abnormal. So don't cut, cut yourself any <laughs> slack there. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, when it comes the saying you're talking about is not your keys, not your Bitcoin. And it's the same if you think about a gold bar, right? If I own a gold bar, it's in my safe. Something happens, I can go and shave off a little of that gold bar and buy some milk with it. Same with Bitcoin. If you hold it in your own wallet, you can go out and buy something. With the ETFs, with gold and Bitcoin, if you actually need those coins, you can't go to BlackRock and say, hey, give me the coins, just like you can't go to BlackRock and say, hey, give me the gold. So it is a different type of investment, and I do think investors should know the difference. One, you don't hold it physically if you own an ETF. If you own it in your wallet, you own it physically. BK, last question. They're going to be really mad at me for asking one more question, but how did you trade this going into the, the ETF launch, and how are you trading it now? Are you anticipating that we will see continued pullbacks at this point as more and more people get onboarded in this? And, and maybe some money does shift out because some money was in Bitcoin for the ETF launch. Yeah, no, there, there certainly was. And that was part of the investment thesis that I had you know, coming into this year, that as this ETF ramped up, you'd get that euphoria. The way that I traded is I start to look around at some of the other coins, and you look at how strong Ethereum was today. So I think eyes are going to be on Ethereum and saying, hey, maybe Ethereum's the next one that is going to get an ETF. Its supply has actually decreased this year. And if you stake it at Coinbase, you get a 3% yield, in quotes. Um, so that actually looks a little more attractive to me today than Bitcoin does. All right. BK, always great to hear from you. BK, Brian always Kelly. Always great to be here. For more on where Bitcoin is headed, let's bring in the chart master, Carter Braxton Worth. He joins us now to break down the technicals. Hey, Carter. Hi. Well, uh, yes, my hunch here is that uh, if one is long to reduce that exposure, uh, let's get right to it. I have five identical charts of Bitcoin, each with different annotations. But the first thing I would point out, it's important, is how precise the sequencing has been, which is to say we have that 100% advance. It was exactly five months, right, November of 2022 to April of 23. And then we have this second one that's just coming up on the five-month mark, also 100%, September of 23 to January right now, 2024. If you 
Keep the same chart. Look where we are. We're at the top of this very well-defined channel. Those are mathematically parallel lines. Uh, let's put some arrows in. And so you'll see here that the, the presumption is that we have a sequence that is very analogous to the last time we got to the top of the channel. If we were to annotate it another way, uh, again, just to point out how precise, it's been almost like a pinball machine. Bitcoin has ascended within this channel, and now I think it will back away having reached the top. And then the final chart for Bitcoin, again, it's the exact same time frame. We're right at the prior two-year high. And so does it mean it has to crash? No. Could it eke out further gains? Sure. But here at this point, given all of those uh, lines and arrows, my thinking is reduce, take some measures if you're long. Carter, thank you. Carter Braxton Worth of Worth Charting. Karen, how are you trading Bitcoin? Not trading it. Staying, staying long, staying long Bitcoin, staying long the other coins. Really, it's, it's in Brian's hands. He's doing a masterful job, I got to say. How about you? You know, it's interesting. I love the idea of buying some in an ETF and putting it in an IRA account and letting it compound tax-free. Okay, so just think of like all that sort of stuff. And I don't know about you guys, but I got shaken out by a little of this stuff during that FTX um, shenanigans in, in the fall of 2022. That was kind of scary. The idea that we might see some of those institutions go down and having your Bitcoin there or, or, or ETH or whatever it was. So to me, I haven't spent a lot of time on it, but I think this is a, a big validation. I, I think, you know, find yourself a basket um, beyond Bitcoin. And this is the really, really tough part. But there's no question that uh, the digital currency world, the digital token world is is back. Now, it's back in a very different way. And I think we've shaken a lot of, you know, bizarre and dead wood out of the trees. And, and, and I think it's time for people to actually look at who's selling them what. We've got a news alert here on the situation in the Red Sea reports that UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has authorized joint military strikes against the Houthis. So this is a developing situation once again. The UK has gone ahead, authorized these strikes. Uh, we had Rear Admiral Mark Montgomery on earlier today saying that these offensive strikes could be very effective in terms of limiting the capabilities of the Houthis and sort of um, putting a damper on the situation for now, but that we are very early in the game in terms of the impact on the supply chain, in terms of increased costs that the consumer ultimately will have to bear. Um, so... Geopolitical risks continue to rear. Tim said it. I mean, we talked, I think two years ago, we talked about what are the things we were concerned about and geopolitical risks were one of them. That was ahead of Russia, Ukraine. They have not gone away in any way, shape or form. Coming up, another round of Trader Acronym. Mm, yes. Two on the desk are ready to reveal their picks for 2024. One is ready to take the lead. The other is going to play it cool. They'll explain next. And big bank earnings on deck. J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and City all set to report. We will hear why one top analyst does not expect to see any drama this season. Fast Money's back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. All week long, we've been unveiling our trader acronyms. Today, Karen Feinerman and Guy Adami will reveal their carefully curated words. <laughs> so, Karen, what's your acronym? Well, you know, I had two options. Either I could go with what I thought would be best in the portfolio, or I could pick a word and then choose investments that fit that. That's how we do it, don't, don't we? I decided to go with the former. So <laughs> I'm taking a little bit of liberty on the uh, acronym part. So mine is HELM. And the H part is healthcare. The way I've chosen to play it is through the XLV. There's a couple of different options, but the XLV gives you it's Lily, which uh, it has sucked all the oxygen out, but the rest is much more diversified. United Health, J&J, Medtronic, AbbVie, Thermo Fisher. So that's the H. The E is also cheating a little bit. It's the XLE, the energy ETF. 
So you all know the energy story, right? I mean, I can't believe where this is trading on a PE basis. It's gotten cheaper and cheaper. You have ExxonMobil, uh, Chevron, Conoco, EOG. I mean, it's ridiculously cheap. Very out of favor this year, staying with that. The other two, L, Louis Vuitton. So now we're going to the Now we're going to real letters, (laughs) real letters. Yeah. uh, Right. (laughs) Louis Vuitton, this is the, uh, obviously, you know, the premier luxury goods name, and it's had a very difficult year. It is really a embedded uh, China rebound story. So much of the revenue, that is the biggest geography. And so I think we will start to see that work. And then the last one, Meta. I hate picking something up this big, but it's still incredibly cheap. I think it's got a lot of momentum. I think we're going to see at at 24 times earnings. It's not expensive for an extraordinary company. And so that's my acronym. She could have gone XXLM, be like a Roman numeral. We we tried that. We actually, yes. It would be 1070. Yeah, which doesn't really. Or Meta could have been um, Lockheed Martin and it could have been hell. Mm. But she doesn't nice. want. But, it's, but that's not what she wants. Tim. I understand. Anyway, so I'm tr- so in trying to play this game, racy. Well, I'm trying to play by the rules. And in the commercial break, it was brought to my attention, by the way, mm. that Icebreaker used this. So I would like, can I raise my hand? You just did. What nice. would you like to do? Guy? I'd like to change. What do they call it when you do that? By a an audible. You, oh. No, the letters when you put them together. Acronym. An acronym. It's yeah, supposed to spell a word. It. Like so. Yeah. Take something out. And I'm no minute. I'm just going to rearrange the letters like a scramble. That's so I was going to be calm, but apparently the breaker had that. So I'm going to make it clam instead, Excellent. because why not? It's Cute fun, fun, like little organic thing. <laughs> First one is since Tim took Chevron, I think somebody took Exxon. I'll go ConocoPhillips. I'll go third man in the draft. Still reasonable on valuation. And by the way, where the rest of these energy companies are selling off, it's held in there almost at an all time high. Give me COP. Ellen, my clam. I didn't is, <laughs> wow, I didn't even knew you chose Lockheed. I'm sorry. Oh, I, oh, well, yeah. if you pay attention, cheapest thing now. you can do. Lockheed Martin. <laughs> we obviously spent the first five minutes of the show talking about it. Valuation is still reasonable. Defense spending, I think it's 56% of the budget now. Stick with LMT, best in breed. The A, I got to stick with gold. Agnico Eagle Mines levered to the price. I think the price goes higher on the back of the other things we talked about. And M, nobody will guess my M. Maybe some folks out there. You know what? With all the infrastructure spending, look what Martin Marietta has done. And over the course of the last two weeks, an upgrade by Morgan Stanley, an upgrade by J.P. Morgan, valuation not stretched. They win to aggregate cement. All the things that Tim has in his garage, yeah. Martin Marietta wins to. And his head? And his head. <laughs> clam, Mel. Clam. 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 So you know, this is calm on the bottom. We will, we We're going to change it. it and, just, and, just and clam it, yes. now. And Karen's going to stick with her fake acronym. Using H-E-L-M. (laughs) Coming up, the countdown to Q4 bank earnings is on. Bank of America, J.P. Morgan City, and many more set to report tomorrow before the bell. We'll bring you the trade on the group straight ahead. More Fast Money in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. Bank earnings kick off tomorrow with Bank of America, J.P. Morgan, City, Wells Fargo, and more set to report. The group broadly weathering the storm of higher rates and the regional bank fallout in early 2023. And while our next guest expects a modest deterioration this year, he still believes the group is resilient overall. Joining us now is Christopher Marinak, Jenny Montgomery Scott, Director of Research. Chris, great to have you with us. Um, Thank you. The run in the, in the bank stocks in the last part of the year seems to be not a good setup for these for the for the earnings season. I'm wondering you know where you stand in terms of the valuation of these stocks at this point after this run given what they're going to report. 
So they're still inexpensive, Melissa, 56% relative PE to the S&P. So that's not the issue. I think Tangible Book is going to grow better this quarter. The mark-to-market for um, AOCI from lower interest rates will be better. The question really is, did the interest rate move already happen? And if so, then the stocks could simply trade sideways for the short term. I'm looking for earnings to kind of be flat coming off of the quarter in terms of forward expectations on earnings. I still think it'll be a good quarter. I don't think you're going to have any major credit problems. I mentioned a slow walk on on issues this year in terms of credit deterioration. I still think there's an awful lot of cash flow the banks have with their PP&R to cover future reserve uh, growth when they need it. I'm hopeful the banks keep growing reserves. I think it's necessary to do that in this environment. That's Karen. Thanks for being on. Um, I agree with you on the general take. It's not a hugely significant quarter, but I do think for some of the money centers, I think the capital markets business should be a nice tailwind. Do you factor that in? Sure. And I think that the comp that most of the capital markets businesses were paying during the year was limited. So you may actually get some of the reaction in December and November being strong that will help it be a better quarter from cap markets. I think that's a great point. And the uh, the extension in the first quarter could also continue. I think a lot of people did not do deals last year that actually could come back and do transactions. Private equity, even bank M&A could be a lot stronger this year and even this quarter. Hey, Chris, Tim, uh, Citibank, we talked about it last night, the $780 million restructuring charge is great news for me. I mean, I think the question for me to you is, are analysts starting to see that Citi is worth more on a relative basis to its former self? I think so, Tim, because the deposits at this company, whether it's domestic or more importantly global, are really, really strong. And I think the deposits of any bank is really what drives the long-term value. So doing the restructuring, getting focused on making money, trying to grow tangible book value again to get the stock above tangible book is a really good thing. So I think the funding of the company, particularly worldwide, is very important to how the stock can come back. Chris, thank you for joining us. Chris Marinak, Jenny Montgomery. Which one are you going to be focused on? City. Well, J.P. Morgan in terms of the commentary. Right. City in terms of the reaction in the stock price. And quickly, we mentioned commercial real Simon Property since September is up about 45-ish. Things haven't gotten that much better. I mean, but it shows you the magnitude of maybe some of the short positions and some of the euphoria around the stock market. So keep your eye on some of these stocks as well. Yeah. Karen? Well, I'll be listening for Jamie Dimon, as you can imagine. Um, and he'll I- be listening for you. Well, mm-hmm. I doubt it. But anyway, I, no, I do want to hear their commentary on the economy. That's the most important thing to me. I don't think the earnings themselves are going to be the news. Yeah. Well, I, I think I want to hear about some of these businesses. I want to hear about M&A. I want to hear about capital markets. I mean, these, these are things that are very cyclical. And frankly, we price nothing in there. I don't think everyone is expecting all that much. Uh, I think banks go higher in an environment that goes sideways overall for the economy. And right now, that's what we have. All right. Up next, final trades. For the final trade, let's go around the horn. Tim? A slightly different media pay, play, ticker Fwonk. This is Liberty Media. <laughs> and it's sure a, it's well, I mean, it is. I mean, effectively. <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a media play, but on Formula One. Again, Capital Light Business, royalties in what I think is a premier global sports league. Very interesting. It's very catchy, Fwonk. Fwonk. Yeah. Uh, Karen? Yes. Going home with the girl that brought me to the acronym. There you go. XLE. I like that. Energy. 
I'm, I'm, I'm yeah. going home with guys L and Clam. That would be the Lockheed Martin <laughs> portion of it. Huh? Interesting. The L and Clam. Yeah. Guy. I'm going home with my failing constitution. <laughs> Rangers in St. Louis tonight. We're going to write the ship, Mel, as we talked about. Yeah. Look at what Gilead's done under the steerage of a Georgetown grad. Check that one out. Hmm. <laughs> Thank you for watching Fast Money. We'll see you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. All opinions expressed by the Fast Money participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Fast Money participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Fast Money Disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Fast Money Disclaimer. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.